in three, two, one. Thank you so much for listening to The Real Spicy Pod. Wow, I felt like I started that as if I'm ending it, but you are listening to The Real Spicy Podcast. My name is Gil Pedro. This week, uh, actually, I've come to realize that I am I'm going in a pathway where I am a little bit more serious. I'm known as the comedic guy, the guy who takes everything as a joke, but you know, I was like, you know, let's spice it up a little bit, hence the name. Um, and this week, uh, I wanted to get a little bit more serious, talk about the, the, the one thing that is all over the media. And I'm like, well, let me give my two cents. I can't give my two cents because I'm not educated in that. And it's just adding more, uh, more, gas to the fire, I guess you can say. Um, and it's not worth me giving my opinion if it's not going to be, uh, it's, if it's not going to bring any good. So instead of me giving you a, um, a, an opinion that has no substance to it, well, I brought the source. I brought someone who can give me good, uh, a good answer, maybe some good opinions. Uh, and also not only from an education standpoint, but from a more personal standpoint as well. Um, so I follow this, uh, this today's guest. Uh, her name is Kathy Chow. I follow her on social media. Uh, she is a traveling nurse. No, wait. She's a nurse who travels. Uh, so we kind of discussed that. We'll, go, we'll dive into that. Um, has an amazing social media presence. Uh, by the way, I'm kind of jealous of your social media and how beautiful it looks, especially your Instagram. Uh, so that's something that I, I've been looking at. I was like, okay, well, let me take notes on that because that picture looks really good. What filter did she use? Uh, and then recently she started a YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to dive into that as well. But this week, I really am really excited about this week's guest. So what's going on? How's, how's everything going with you? Everything is good. I have um, been at home in mm -hmm. self-quarantine for the last two weeks and yeah it's actually been amazing okay amazing oh all right so i i first before we dive into into the nitty-gritty i want to know your story you know this podcast is about people's people's story and and their struggles and their success um First, you work as a nurse. Um, you work uh, um, at an ER nurse, and so you see a lot of things. You see uh, things that most people should probably never see. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. So what made you become a nurse? Actually, better question. What made you go into the field of healthcare? I do want to rewind. I am an ICU nurse. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. No, no, no. Chill. It's, um, it, it's kind of like the ER, but like almost the opposite but just like handling the sickest of the sick patients, but, okay. but very similar in terms of like acuity. Okay. Yes. So healthcare has been in my family. My mom is a nurse. My aunt is a nurse. Um, my dad's a lawyer. So pretty much like the Asian pressure, of course, it's like become a doctor, become a nurse or become like a lawyer, maybe mm -hmm. an engineer, you know, that type of thing. And I love science and I love helping people. So I was like, okay, I think medicine would be pretty cool. Um, but I wasn't sure like where in medicine, do I want to be a doctor? Do I want to be like a nurse? Do I want to be something else? Mm -hmm. And I fell into nursing just because, well, one, a lot of pressure from my mom, from my Filipinos, you will know yes. <laughs> what that pressure is like. And because they have such great work-life balance and that's really what I wanted out of my career, was time to like work and help people and have such great fulfillment in my job, but also be able to do whatever I wanted to do and like have a family and do that type of thing. 
So that's how I got into healthcare, but I actually really love business. Mm-hmm. So I have a minor in business management. So I did that before I went to nursing school. Okay. So, wow, that was actually a very detailed answer. And for some reason, I was like, all right, I'm going to need to pick at this and maybe get some answers out of you. But this is so far real smooth. So you, you went to nursing school. How hard, how difficult is that? I went to UNLV's nursing school, which mm-hmm. is a very good nursing school. Shout out okay. to Rebels. Okay. And... I, it was pretty hard. I wouldn't say it was like the hardest thing ever. Everyone has, of course, like varying opinions on this. Mm-hmm. Some people say that nursing school was like the hardest thing ever. I think it was very challenging. It's like not just challenging in terms of like having to learn everything, mm-hmm. but it's like a mind game. Like, I don't know if all nursing schools do this, but they definitely mess with you. They like are always testing you and just like always putting a bunch of pressure on you and which is good because of course, like in the actual job, there's so much pressure on you and so much stress, Mm -hmm. but you're always like playing this game in your mind. Like, am I going to pass? Am I even good enough to be a nurse? Am I smart enough to do this? And so kind of getting over that, I would say is just like one of the biggest struggles of nursing school, in addition to a very rigorous curriculum and a lot of time that you have to dedicate to, you know, clinical hours and all that stuff. Okay. So far, I mean, what it what it sounded like, uh, nursing school is like a whole an academic hazing process, pretty much. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. As a fellow Greek person, even though we don't haze in my sorority, like, uh-huh. um, but just I understand what hazing is like. Obviously, yeah. not not personally, thank yeah. you. Um, but yeah, no, it is just because like the curriculum is so intense, but also it's in such a short time period that that's mm-hmm. also what makes it so rigorous. Like you're combining so much education into legit 16 months. Like I did an accelerated BSN. And oh, so it's okay. 16 months straight through. You get two weeks in between semesters, but it's just like, bam. One after another. Okay. So in, in, in nursing school, do you get to pick what field or, or what concentration that you want to be a nurse in? Like um, what uh, neuronatal, I think that's uh, for kids, right? Uh, for babies or na- something na- mm-hmm. yes yeah. uh or an emergency nurse or or an icu nurse uh, do you get to pick what you want or is it something through experience that you figure that out it's kind of a mixture of the two nursing school like when you graduate you have to be able to, to be a nurse all across the lifespan so we take okay. classes in um, geriatrics so like older people in medical surge which is just like kind of everybody mm-hmm. pediatrics uh, labor and delivery etc critical care. So we have to take classes on all of that and learn the very basics of every single one of those. Unfortunately, they don't let you get to like into the nitty gritty until your last semester. That's when you do your preceptorship and you can choose where you want to be placed, but you don't always get like your first choice. They look at how well you do in clinicals and academically. Mm -hmm. And if you've done really well, then you'll likely get your first choice. So that's when I did my preceptorship in the ICU. So you have about like two months of Mm -hmm. clinicals in one specific unit. And so I think that that's where you get to kind of decide like if this is for you or if maybe it's not for you, like that specific unit. But then it's when you graduate, wherever you get a job and like wherever you get hired, that's kind of like where your specialty will be. Um, It's really hard to get jobs right away as like an ICU nurse, labor and delivery nurse or an ER nurse, Mm -hmm. NICU nurse, et cetera, pick you. So usually people have to start in other floors, but you can always change after that. So say like I started in in ER and I'm like, actually, I want to be an OR nurse. You can always switch later. Okay. So for those that don't know, and and I know very little. So actually for me, 
what are clinicals? Is that hands-on experience or is that just more hard classes? Uh, hands-on experience in the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Hands-on experience in the hospitals. Uh, is it based on hours uh, uh, that you do or is it based on, 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 on an academic curriculum? It's, uh, it's basically hours. So mm-hmm. if you have to do clinical rotations, so say I have to do my clinical rotations in labor and delivery. So we have yeah. to do, um, say, like two weeks or three weeks, et cetera, however long the semester is. Okay, so how long in total did you do uh, these clinical hours? Oh man, I would definitely have to calculate that. But in a semester, like we're doing at least, I feel like we're doing at least like 20 hours a, a week. week. Or it, it depends because mm-hmm. if you have a really intense class schedule, then they'll do like maybe one clinical or two clinicals. Um, but it just really depends on the week in nursing school. Okay. All right. So for those that, uh, for those that may want to be, who may want to pursue nursing, how, how is it as far as time, time commitment? Are you able to have a job? Are you able to have a social life? Uh, uh, are you able to just be not in a sense normal, but just have time for yourself? It really depends on you and your time management skills is really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. I had classmates that still worked not full-time but at least part-time because they had kids and of course had to support their family yeah and stopping work was not a part of you know what was even able to happen so they worked part-time and then they still killed it in nursing school but I also have friends that were students full-time and failed out so it really just depends on you Mm -hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough that I didn't have to work so I chose not to Okay. And I was a full-time student. Maybe I could have worked like part-time. Yeah. I think it would have been more challenging, but it would have been possible. In terms of a social life, I still like had a social life. I was still in my sorority for my first semester of nursing school. So mm-hmm. of course, you know that Greek life is a huge time commitment. Yeah. And so I was in my sorority still. I still traveled in between semesters and on the weekends. Yeah. So yeah, it's totally up to you. It's totally doable. But if you feel like you're slipping in your schoolwork, Obviously, you got to cut everything. You can say bye to your friends and you will see them in 16 months after you graduate. Absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. So this is perfect that you mentioned traveling. Great transition. (laughs) So now that you are a a full-on nurse, I've noticed and, and, and... all over your Instagram that you've been all over the world. You're not just a traveler, you're, you're a world traveler. So I want to get, I want to talk about that. Some, some of your stories, obviously from, uh, from your travels, but the most important thing is um, a question that I asked my first guest on, on the podcast. How many countries have you been to? Ooh, I have an app, you know, there's an app for that. I have wow. an app. <laughs> ex- that is literally the exact same thing. She's like, hold on, I have an app. I'm like, wow, guys, I only have like six countries, so I can still remember them. <laughs> what are the six countries that you've been to? And for me, it's Mexico, the Bahamas, Germany, France, uh, England, Canada. Okay, very nice, yeah. very nice. Okay, so I'm one of those people that takes a million photos. I literally have 40,000 photos on my phone. So the app was deleted because I didn't have enough space. I think, <laughs> I think that I've been to around like 36, 38 countries, wow. somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, have you been? Okay, so let me talk about uh, your, your travel stories and, and, and hopefully you can dive into a few of them. Um, as far as traveling, uh, how do you manage that? Now that you're a nurse, uh, so 
I thought that, oh, she's so busy now that she's a nurse. And then I see your Instagram. Wait, what? She she's in London now. And then I'm like, oh, maybe it's just her annual leave. You know, she's just her one week uh, uh, a year. And then the next week I see, wait, she's in France. What? Oh, you know what? She must be taking like a one month vacation. And then I didn't realize, oh, oh, Kathy travels every single or at least every other week outside of the country. I'm like, I didn't know this. I thought being a nurse was, it took a lot of your time, but I, I guess not. We kind of mentioned that in the beginning before we went live that being a nurse, you have a lot of time to do things and what you do with your free time is travel. How is that possible? Is it based on the schedule or or is it something that you request? It's a mixture of the two. With nursing, it's super time consuming, obviously nursing school, like we just talked about, it's really intensive. But once you're actually in the field and you kind of like get your bearings and you're able to do your thing, Mm -hmm. then it's really easy to do other things because nurses like if you work in a hospital setting obviously you can work in other settings where the schedule is not like this but I Mm. work three 12-hour shifts a week and so that leaves me with four days to kind of do whatever I want Mm -hmm. and luckily for nurses we obviously cannot bring our work home with with us because we cannot bring patients (laughs) and all that stuff home and so we have to stop what we're doing like as soon as we leave and then that's where our job ends Mm -hmm. and so besides resting for the next shift you basically can do whatever you want, which is really nice. Yeah. So that when you're off, you're truly off. Like I know lawyers and you know other business people have to answer emails and all that stuff. So nurses yeah. don't have to do that, thankfully. So that leaves us with a lot more time to do what we want. And so what I do is I travel and I set up my schedule in a way that allows for that to happen. So I can basically take eight days off without taking any PTO, mm-hmm. basically like every other week. And so that's what I've been doing. So I can take eight days off without using any vacation time. And then I can also, when I take PTO, stack those eight days and have like weeks off, which is pretty dope. That is incredible. So what was the, so right out of nursing school. So I know that you traveled while in nursing school, but right right out of nursing school, what was the first trip um, that you took? I went to London to visit Mm -hmm. my sister and my dad. My dad lives in Taiwan and my Mm. sister, I don't know where she was living at the time. She's kind of all over the place. She's also a lover of travel, but she was living in Jersey at the time, I think, or in Taiwan as well. Uh So we met up in London so that we could all hang out. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So now that, okay, so that was your first trip outside, you know, once you graduated uh, nursing school. What about on the job? Do you remember that one? Oh, oh man, there's so many. I think it might've been Iceland. Iceland. Yeah. Okay. Iceland. So have you been to more countries in Europe or, or Asia or all over? Honestly, uh-huh. just because Europe and Asia, I love visiting both of them. I've lived mm-hmm. in Thailand. I've lived in Spain and my dad lives in Taiwan, but my sister lives in London. So yeah. I'm really just like going back and forth between the two. And of course, like in Asia, everything is so close together yeah. that you could just like country hop super easily. And same in Europe everything is literally just like a train ride away. So mm-hmm. it allows you to visit so many countries in, in both of those continents. Ah, okay. So I usually like to start off with anything that I do because I, I want to end on a good note. So I want to start off on the bad note. From all your, ba- from all your travel experiences, uh, what country or, or not just the country, but maybe the experience that you went through um, was the worst? Ooh, 
this is so easy to answer, which is really sad. Uh -huh. But Cambodia, which if you're a lover of Cambodia, I'm so sorry. Uh -huh. But this is just my personal experience. Yeah. I went to Cambodia because I wanted to see Angkor Wat, you know, get my Laura Croft Tomb Raider vibes on. Yep. I, I was doing a whole Asia trip with my sister and one of my best friends. And uh -huh. We did Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia. It was super cool. So we went to Cambodia, my sister and I, and we went to Angkor Wat. And mind you, like it was hot and Angkor Wat is a temple. So it has really strict guidelines in terms of what you can wear. Yeah. And I thought I read it properly online. I guess I did not. But in order to enter the temple, you need to have like a shirt or like a sweater on you, but it's super hot and humid. So I had mm. a shawl because my shoulders were covered, but they said it had to be like, like on me properly. Yeah. So then I was trying to buy a shirt outside in the market. Of course, everyone's like trying to sell things to you and all that good stuff, which I, I understand the hustle. I understand yeah. the grind is the grind. So you got to do what you got to do. Yep. Solicit some folks, you know, do your thing. <laughs> So I found a shirt that I liked. It was way marked up, obviously, because it was right outside the temple. I'm like, okay, whatever. I just got to bite the bullet and just mm -hmm. buy it. In Cambodia, they have their own currency, but they almost don't really use it for like locals. That Everything is in US dollars, which is really trippy. But since I was in Asia for like three weeks, I didn't want to pull out a bunch of USD. So yeah. I had like a mixture of currency. I had Vietnamese money, Thai money, American money, like euros. I don't even know what I had. And yeah. so when I was buying this shirt, I was trying to count up my money to see how much I could give this person because I didn't have enough USD. So she was like, oh, I'll just take like a hodgepodge of money. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm trying to count it. And she takes the money out of my hands, all of my freaking money, uh -huh. and then starts to count it herself. And she's like, oh, I'll take this. I'm like, excuse me? No, the fuck you will not. The fuck you just took my fucking money out of my hands. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> What? I was so, I was so upset. My sister had to walk away because she has like kind of a temper. I'm uh -huh. a relaxed one. Uh -huh. She was like, I'm gonna walk away from this situation because like it's not gonna end well. And I still bought the shirt because no one else had a better shirt. And I was like, damn, if I'm gonna spend my money, I want it to be a shirt that I can reuse. Yeah. But I gave her less money on principle because I was like, yeah, you totally took my money on my hands and that was not cool. Yeah. I don't want to be disrespectful. Obviously, I know that they earn less than like I do. So I still gave mm -hmm. like more than I should have, but yeah. yeah but it was the whole principle. Like don't take what's yes. not yours. Yes, exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, situation. But you didn't finish your story. Did you end up going to the temple? Yes, I did. I did. Okay. I the shirt. <laughs> oh, okay. So how was that experience going into the temple? So what is this, this, this temple that you mentioned? Cause I, I know the name, but I don't know. I can't paint a picture in my head. So Angkor Wat is comprised of like a couple different um, like temples all in one like huge compound mm -hmm. and it's made out of like stone or like I don't know these really cool rocks and they're in these formations just like in the Tomb Raider like yeah it has like a bunch of like vines and stuff growing on the outside like it's really cool and really beautiful I don't know if it was worth it to go maybe it's worth it to go to see once in your life but yeah literally the entire town there's like nothing else to see the food was very subpar people were obviously besides that incident, like pretty nice. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I didn't love that country. And I frequently love pretty much every country I visit. And that was uh -huh. one that I just kind of left with a bad taste in my mouth. Maybe it was just a bad incident that that doesn't happen that often. But yeah. unfortunately, 
that's the experience See, that I had. Yeah, have. everyone has a very unique experience and that just unfortunately happened to be yours. So with, with that, let's end it on, 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 on a good note. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be difficult to pick one. So I want to know your top three, your top three countries that you've been to. Ooh, that is really hard. Yeah. I will... Okay. In no order, in no order. So it makes it a little bit more easier because I knew that if I, if I told you, hey, pick one, we're going to have a good pause. Like, hmm, because it's <laughs> a lot of thinking. But if I give yeah. you three, it's a little bit more easier in no particular okay. order. Okay. I will say my number one is Greece. Uh-huh. And this is not a secret. Like if you look at my Instagram, I have like a million photos of me in Greece. Uh-huh. And I've been every year for the last three years because I love it so much. And I'm not someone that loves to repeat the countries that I visit. I always love to be visiting new places, but Greece, I just cannot seem to shake just because it's so beautiful. The food is fantastic. If you're thinking, oh, like, I don't really like euros. It's not really my thing. I promise you that that is definitely not the only thing that they have. And they have some of like the freshest, tastiest food I've ever had in this world. The people are super nice. And even though Greece is in Europe, it's not as expensive as other parts in Europe Yeah, because of like the economic crash that they had and, you know, yeah. other reasons. And yeah, so it's pretty affordable to travel and the islands are beautiful. I know there's a lot of hype around Santorini, of course, like you see so many photos of it. It's a huge like honeymoon destination. Yeah. I promise you that it's not just for honeymooners because I'm definitely nowhere near getting married and uh-huh. I love that place. Okay. <laughs> it is so beautiful and peaceful. Okay. Did you take the... I think you have, but I want to, I want to know, um, the very popular photo with the, the, how the, the blue houses in the back. Did you end up oh. taking that photo? Oh, I have thousands of photos like that. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, yeah, the white houses with the blue domes is super iconic. Yeah. Santorini. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to get those shots, but the key is to go early and yeah, go early. Don't slack. Why? Oh, why are they so hard? Is it because they're very, is there a lot of people there or is it just a lot of people? So there's like the really iconic spots. There's only like a couple places where you can see all of Santorini. So of course everyone is flooding those areas and there's Mm -hmm. literally an entire line that you have to wait in order to take those photos. Uh So if you go early before the cruise ships dock, then I'd say that's a pretty safe bet because there's a bunch of like cruise tourists that visit and they Mm -hmm. come like in like huge hordes. Oh yeah course it's hard to take photos once those people are released <laughs> okay okay dang it, it, it so the food so i know a little bit about greek food it's mostly mediterranean so it's not very potent in flavor um mostly fresh ingredients um because i well, I'm, I'm mexican and most of my food is really <laughs> spicy yeah uh so i i, I had Mediter- mediterranean food and it's not very potent i guess the word i can use how was that experience over there was it a culture shock for you or was it something like oh this shit's bomb you know i don't like spicy food it's not that i don't like it but my stomach physically cannot tolerate it like i just get Uh so sick from it unfortunately even like a spicy tuna roll it's like don't be a bitch but like (laughs) yeah no it's it's definitely not something my stomach can handle so greek food it's really fresh like you said they have like the best seafood and even though it's not super like flavorful in terms of spices it definitely has really great flavor yeah and in terms of the quality plus the freshness and the flavor it's just all super bomb awesome okay so what's the second country um peru 
I went to Peru last year for my birthday uh-huh. and it was definitely a country that I was like, Oh, like I want to visit Peru because Machu Picchu yep. looks dope. I want to see it. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. Like, cool. Mm-hmm. And my friends, they're also nurses. They're like, yeah, like we're super down. Like, let's go. Okay, cool. Okay. So we go and my expectations, they weren't super high. Not that they were low, but I just try to go with no expectations and just kind of let whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And Peru definitely blew my expectations out of the fucking water. It was amazing. Like everything was so beautiful. Everywhere yeah. we turned, it looked like it was brand new. I'm like, oh my gosh, did we see this already? Was that mountain always there? It was just so gorgeous. And the people were super nice. The food was also bomb. If you can't tell, your girl loves to eat. So <laughs> food is a, plays a huge role into like if I'm going to like a country or not. And Peruvian food, I had never had it till I went there. And it was amazing. Like there's also a Japanese like influence to some of it, which I found really interesting because I guess like Japanese people came to Peru. And so that's why there's that fusion in there. And that food, the Japanese and Peruvian food fusion was super good. Yeah, Peru, highly recommend. It's cheap. It's in South America. It's like pretty safe. Like I always felt safe walking around with my girls at night. So yeah, no, highly recommend. Okay. So there's that experience, but what about the, um, how do I say this? What about the, the Machi Picchu? How is that? Cause it's not just like a one day thing. It's a couple days to get down there. Is it up there or down there? Is it, is it high elevated? When people say, let's go to Machu Picchu. Do they say it's let's it's up? Okay. <laughs> yes, I think it's up. <laughs> How 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 was that? Honestly, there's a couple ways you can do Machu Picchu. You can do like the trek that is like a couple days and you like walk to Machu Picchu and like go up it and like do that whole trail. You can also just do like a day pass and just like visit for that day and then like hike once you're at Machu Picchu. So that's what we did, me and my friends, because we were kind of hard pressed on time and we wanted to see several different parts of the country. So that's what we did. And so we just went for the day. And it was pretty dope. We hired a, like, a, what is that? A guide. We hired a guide. So he was telling us about the history about Machu Picchu and how it was formed and what every area of Machu Picchu, like what it was before, which was really cool. If you ask me now, I don't remember any of it, but it was really nice to, to learn in that moment. Yeah. And yeah, no, it was cool. But Peru has some really intense elevation. It's like at a much higher elevation than most parts of the states so Mm -hmm. me and my friends got absolutely wrecked by the um elevation like we got i don't know what that's called i forget what it's called altitude sickness haha really okay so with altitude sickness um so i've seen a video of this uh especially people who go on on these uh expeditions um oxygen tanks is that a thing like i know there's a couple cities on the on the way there are a couple pueblos um where they have oxygen tanks and people are next to those oxygen tanks sucking in air is is that a thing or is that just the the youtube video that i happen to see no that's 100 percent a thing i know at my hotel that we were at they had that if it was like an emergency but mm-hmm. what they gave to all of us is like this coca tea it's like with the coca like leaves and all that stuff yeah and that is supposed to help with altitude sickness it helps like your body adjust somehow and if it gets really bad then they'll give you some supplemental oxygen that you can pay for it's very cheap but yeah sometimes when obviously your body's acclimating to that high elevation that your body needs that supplemental oxygen 
but I didn't see it. Like no one was lugging around an oxygen tank, but I think that with some tours, they probably had it like close by if someone was in distress. Okay. Wow. That No, that's good to know. Cause I, cause sometimes you can't believe everything you see on the internet and, <laughs> yes. and I think that's one of the the one trips that I always talk about and I personally haven't been to it. So, so far out of the countries you mentioned, Peru and Machu Picchu is probably one of the, the, the ones that I would personally want to go. Hence why I have a little bit more interest. I was like, okay, so tell me about that. Tell me about this. Because uh, when I do have that opportunity to go, uh, I want to be prepared. Um, how was the hike though? Did it take uh, more than, obviously it took more than, than a day, but how was it? Was it rigorous on your body? It was actually just a day. Like it was a couple hours because you oh, just really? hike through it. Yeah. So oh, okay. we, we take the bus up because we were those, you know, those bitches that were like, <laughs> I'm going to take the bus. Oh, Machu okay. Picchu, drop me off at the bottom and then I'm going to yeah. walk up and through. So yeah. it was a couple of hours to explore all of it. But if you do the trek, which I hear is such an amazing experience, if you have more time available yeah. to you then you like hike for a couple of days and I hear it's quite rigorous, but you're like camping and you have really good food and you like meet new people. So that's what I, okay. See, that's the part that I didn't know. I didn't know that, that a bus was able to take you or a vehicle was able to take you a little bit more closer. All the, all the stories that I hear or watch or even read, uh, have been, uh, they take, it's a few days to get there. Uh, hence why I was always hesitant about it. So I think from you, it's the first time that I have ever heard that it's just a day or a few hours because every story uh, since the start has always been a few days. So actually now I'm even more interested to go because of that. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So what is the, 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 third, the third country? New Zealand. I went on this trip with my little bro, uh -huh. where you at? And it was amazing. Like we went in November, we were in Australia and New Zealand for three weeks. Yeah. And this trip was fantastic. But we went to New Zealand and it was one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. It's naturally just gorgeous. The air is super fresh. We spent a lot of time in Queenstown and did a bunch of adventurous stuff because it's the adrenaline capital of the world. So we did skydiving, bungee jumping, we did like this thing where you're like swinging over a canyon. I don't know, something crazy. Uh -huh. And I don't love heights. I mean, I don't hate it, but I don't love it. So this was definitely a little bit out of my comfort zone. But it was one of those trips where I'm like, you know what? If you're going to do it, like just fucking do it. And yeah. it was just one of the best decisions of my life. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, did you go to a cricket game? No, I don't think they had any. I don't know if it was like that season. Oh, okay. So I know a little bit. I think I only know the stereotypes of it. So is it a lot like Australia in a sense of a lot of marsupials, a lot of like interesting animals? No. No. Australia has like the crazy spiders, which I never saw any of that. Yeah. I, you see a lot of stuff on YouTube that Australia has like really crazy animals and bugs, which they for sure do. Yeah. But they're like in the outback. They're not in the big cities and that's where we stayed we were like in melbourne and sydney yeah so that's not very like commonplace unless you're literally in like the outback or like the countryside Got so it. people think that if you pull up to australia that as soon as you step off the plane a spider's gonna land on you or like some something's gonna come out the toilet or something yeah it's really not like that it's much safer if you stick to the big cities yeah. but new zealand was more peaceful they have a lot less people the cities that are big are not mm. that big maybe Auckland and in, in the North Island is big but in the South Island it's like a more chill relaxed vibe and they have more sheep than people whereas Australia it's it's not the case <laughs> oh okay uh so this is more of my ignorant stereotypical side coming out did you get to witness uh 
in person the the haka the haka dance oh i didn't know they had that there that's the yeah the new zealand they're the ones that are known for uh performing the haka that that's that's the okay so i guess not but the reason i knew is because it's every time a new zealand sports team plays they always always ah yes yes because the original people that were in um, new zealand yes the maori i think maori people i i think so yes i am not too educated on that but i do know i I would love to see that in person and and hence why i asked you did you get to see that um but it's not that they do it every day randomly i know they do that like at weddings ceremonial yeah yeah very ceremonial weddings funerals um obviously before something serious like a like a like a a sports game um but that's why i mentioned that no i I wish that would have been cool i did have maori food and it was bomb Uh How is that? What's the what's the the profile on that? It's basically like very like Polynesian, very like has flavors that are like fresh ingredients, but also have kind of like that island flavor because New Zealand is an island and they're in like very close to like Fiji. Not very close. I'm not really good at geography, but yeah. in that general area. Yeah. Like Polynesian vibe, kind of like Hawaii, but like a little bit different. So like that island flavor. So lots oh. of like fish, lots of you know, stuff like that. Okay. Dang. So that, I mean, so far those three countries that you mentioned, they seem really interesting. So thank you for sharing. I do, I do appreciate like you on that, but there is something that I mentioned in the beginning, uh, a traveling nurse. I, and I, I, I kept messing that up a traveling nurse. I'm like, no, no. Um, so you got to let me know what that is. Cause a lot of people, um, who don't know any uh, much about the medical field, they're like, oh, I might want to be a traveling nurse. And then they see, the, maybe the the social media aspect of it, like they get to go to different countries, and that's what I thought a traveling nurse. So this whole time, seeing your social media, I'm like, yo, Kathy's Kathy's a traveling nurse too. And then you explain to me, not really. Can you go into detail about that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I get this question in my Instagram a lot, like always in my DMs. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, like what company do you work for? I want to be a traveling nurse, and I always have to break the news to them that like I'm so sorry that I can't help you but I'm just like a full-time ICU nurse in Las Vegas that happens to travel every two weeks. Like for the last year before the pandemic started, I was traveling every two weeks and primarily out of the country, sometimes domestically, but often internationally. And that's because my schedule, like I set it up and like it allowed for that. Mm -hmm. But a travel nurse, the reason that it's different is you become a nurse that's outside of your normal residence So say if I became a nurse in California and accepted a contract at a hospital for a certain amount of time, typically three months is the contract. And they typically pay you at like a higher rate because they're in need of nurses that that's why they're bringing in nurses from out of state to help fill the gaps where they're missing it in their facility. So you get like housing stipends and then they have like a totally different tax thing because you're like self-employed, like, you know, that type of thing. So it's just like a very different type of nursing but the beauty the beauty of travel nursing is you accept the three-week assignment or sorry three-month assignment and you're kind of at the mercy of the hospital for those three months or however long your contract is Mm -hmm. but it's up to you to decide when your next contract is so if you want to take two months off six months off depending on your financial stability and how much you have saved and you know what that looks like for you you can totally do that which is really cool See, that's the part that I didn't know, and I and I happen to fall in that demographic uh, of of 
what company do you work for? Because this whole time I really thought like, oh, wow, Kathy used to be a traveling nurse and, and now she's, she's back uh, uh, domestically being a nurse here. But see, I, these are things that people don't know. And unfortunately, it, it's either sometimes social media does not disclose that or you make your own assumptions. In this case, I think, I, I think myself and a bunch of people made our own assumptions about that. So I so this is the part where we kind of discussed before that I that I wanted to get a little bit serious. So with everything going on, everyone knows about the pandemic. Um, things are shutting down. Um, restaurants are shutting down. Things that are were a norm are no longer a norm. You know they're 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 pretty much on pause for now. But the one one of the very few fields that have not shut down. Um, that have become, in my opinion, the heroes of all this is those in the healthcare uh, field. With that being said, how has that been, how has that taken a toll on you knowing all this that's going on um, and you still have to be on the front lines? So I've been taking COVID patients for the last two and a half months. Mm -hmm. I actually took the first suspected COVID patient in my hospital. And I will never forget that day because I remember being really scared, Yeah. of course, of the unknown, you know, not knowing like what's going to happen. Is this gear really going to protect me, et cetera. And that this entire journey, like, and I'm sure all my healthcare professionals can feel me on this one is it's just been such a learning experience for all of us. Yeah. And it's just been so interesting to be praised as heroes, which I don't think any of us necessarily like feel like heroes. We're doing our job and we're really happy to do it and to take care of these patients and be on the front line. But it is definitely very scary. I had the thoughts of, you know, am I going to get sick? Am I going to bring something home with me? And then will I infect my family members? I have a very traditional Filipino household. So I live with my mother and then my grandmother lives with us. So three generations. I know being Hispanic, you would totally understand that. Absolutely. So yeah, my grandmother is 82. And of course, like if I have it and I just don't know because I'm asymptomatic and Mm. I pass it on to her, of course, that could be very deadly. So having that paranoia and also just like the stress of these patients Mm -hmm. and talking to the family. And honestly, it's so hard because in the hospital, we don't allow visitors anymore, obviously, to limit the spread. Even when these COVID patients are dying, we don't allow visitors. And that's something that is really, really hard just because you feel the pain of the family members that you're talking to because, of course, we keep them updated. We're explaining things to them. They're calling all the time, which is totally fine. Yeah. But for most of these patients that are dying, like there's just no... I don't want to say most, but for a lot of the patients that are passing away that we're getting, there's just no rhyme or reason because they're just like quite young and they have little to no comorbidities. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to explain that, that someone's father, that someone's husband, that someone's wife has passed away. Mm -hmm. And they were just talking to to them three days ago. They're like, I don't understand that you're telling me that my husband is dead, but he was just talking to me. He was just at home in my bed three days ago, like I don't understand. And that as healthcare providers is just such a new experience for us. Of course, deaths will happen all the time. That's not something that's unfamiliar. Yeah. Unfortunately, especially in ICU, like it just happens a lot. Yeah. But at the rate that it's going and the cause, usually we see a clear cause. Okay, this patient cardiac arrested, 
okay, they've passed or they're too unstable and they're not going to last much longer mm-hmm. or they had a severe stroke, et cetera. You know, it's something that we can normally see. And of course, as medical providers and as people that are like very like science-based and I know with medicine, it's very unpredictable and how every patient is going to react to stuff is always going to be different. But this is the first time that we are completely out of our element that we don't even know exactly what treatments are going to work. We're just trying different things, like doing different clinical trials and lots of trial and error with patients and just learning as we go. But it's just something that's been stressful for us because we are talking to the family and we're trying to provide them answers that we just don't have. And it makes us feel, of course, bad about not being able to do that. And then also seeing these patients be so sick and nothing is working. And then you feel like what you're doing is kind of for nothing and then you just feel powerless it's like how can i be doing all of these things and then nothing is working to get this patient better am i doing my job properly so then you just start asking yourself these questions and then of course as someone that is so used to providing care and then seeing results it's kind of hard like a hard pill to swallow yeah so it's definitely been such a journey emotionally mentally physically and then also just very tiring. I've never been this tired at work before. And if you follow me on IG, you know that I am such a workaholic. Like I worked nine days in a row straight, mm-hmm. nine, 12 hour shifts in March. And it was, it was okay. But I used to be able to work OT like it was nothing. And now I can do my three days and then that's it. Just because of all the precautions we have to take, all the gear we have to wear, it's like really hard on like my back. And I'm just so mentally exhausted and just physically exhausted from this entire thing yeah and i take like a million showers a day just because of course like i want to make sure that i'm clean and safe Mm -hmm. and i ended up contracting covid19 myself Mm -hmm. and so that's why i've been at home for the last two weeks that's why i said it was amazing because it's nice to not be at work yeah but of course being sick with covid is not an ideal situation yeah. so i've really experienced like the full spectrum of this entire pandemic it's been absolutely great. yeah you've been you've been a witness from the outside in and now uh unfortunately you are from the outside no from the inside out um so with 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 all that um you you mentioned a word that that stuck to me you're asystematic uh, hopefully i pronounced that yes. correct what does that mean it just means no symptoms. Like you're just not exhibiting symptoms. Okay. So when you, when you were officially diagnosed with it, were you experiencing symptom, symptoms or was it something that just came as a surprise to you? Kind of both. I felt like I was getting sick, but I wasn't really sure what it was. And then I was working. Then while I was working, my symptoms started to increase. So I started getting feverish body aches while I was at work me and my friend we like mess around at work and like I like grabbed her by the arms she's Mm -hmm. like you feel really hot I'm like really and she's like yeah like you feel like you might be having a fever like oh shit okay so then as the night progressed I my temperature started to rise even more my body aches started to worsen and I just felt like really like weak and I'm like oh my gosh this is not normal this is like kind of strange so I need to go to employee health and get this checked out So I went down in the morning because I work night shift. So I went in the morning after my shift was over. I was like, I'm not going to leave the shift. I want to finish it out. Yeah. I just, of course, wore a mask, kept my distance from my coworkers and all that stuff. So I went to get swabbed. And then the next day on my birthday is when I tested positive for COVID. So on your birthday as a 
again, this is the humor in me coming out. As your birthday present, you were diagnosed. Okay. Um, see, I'm telling you, I, I, I try to make the, the best out of every situation. But I, don't, I was like, I don't know. I, that's my, my way of coping through things is through humor. And I would always say, you know, I, because of that, that's why I'm not invited at funerals anymore. And people were like, that's really dark. I was like, okay, I'll stop. I'll stop saying <laughs> things like that. Um, but no, that's, uh, that's not necessarily, what's the word that I'm trying to use? Because it's not really an incredible story, but that's a very fascinating story that you went through all this. Um, so you mentioned about wearing masks and robes. Has that been something... Um, so I've been in the hospital multiple times for family members and usually when they exhibit some sort of um, disease that may be spreadable through contact or even airborne, you wear like a mask and then from what I've seen, they just like put over a, a, a gown and it just like, it lays on you. Not really, it does, you don't tie it or anything. Now I've noticed pictures of people like the mask, the, the multiple gowns in the front, one in the back, and then you tie it. Um, I, I think things are getting more stricter. But besides the, the, the gowns and the mask, what are other things that you've noticed, and maybe not necessarily uh, where you work at, but just as a whole that the, that the industry is now doing? So exactly what you said, that if anyone has some kind of like disease or like infection, that we will protect ourselves as well as the visitors that come to visit with a gown, a mask, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And depending on what they have, people are normally like pretty relaxed about it. I'm definitely guilty of that. If they're like, oh, they have MRSA of the nares, I'm like, okay, that's whatever. That's so commonplace. I'm not going to wear a full gown for that. That's like too extra. But of course now this virus is just so unpredictable and we have to take more enhanced precautions so of course you're seeing the gowns some people have the full-on like a bunny suit that kind of like comes up to your neck that you can zip up which i wish that we had i was tempted to buy my own off eBay, uh -huh. but i was like i think that's too much yeah um i have a full vis video on my youtube channel that yeah. goes into the details of a day in the life of an icu nurse mm -hmm. and I actually show all the precautions that i take in my hospital and some people are using N95s, others are using poppers, which is just like this hood that you put on that has kind of like a thing attached to it, like a portable AC unit that is filtering out all of the, you know, the particles and all that stuff. Okay. So yeah, definitely in the healthcare industry, the precautions that we take, everyone is super serious about it. We have an exact order that we do to don our PPE to put on the equipment and also to take it off to ensure that we're not having any breaks in you know, like the, not sterility, it's not sterile, but any yeah. breaks in the like infection change so that we don't pass it on to our patients, to our other patients, to our coworkers or to ourselves. Okay. Wow. That is, uh, it's good that everyone's taking the, the precaution, you know, the, the best thing to, uh, for yourself and others is always taking preventative measures, uh, with, with, I want to go back to, to you having, I don't want to talk too much about it, but, um, uh, the whole COVID thing, the, the you you the one thing that I've always wanted to know and and that is getting tested from what I see on again I think a lot of the things that we see is through social media and that's how either things are false or or the facts aren't there but this is something that's not really based on facts but the only thing that I've seen is uh, they take like a q-tip looking thing and they shove it up your nose and it looks very uncomfortable is that what you had to go through? 
Yes. So they have a pretty long like Q-tip thing and they have like two swabs in there. So it really just depends. Some people will only use one. Mm -hmm. Others will use both of them. Depends. And it is so uncomfortable depending on what type of swab they do. If they do nasopharyngeal, so it's like through the nose or oropharyngeal, so through the mouth and to the throat. So the one that I unfortunately received was the one that goes into your nose and all the way to the back of your throat, which it honestly feels like they're swabbing you all the way to your brain. Like that shit is so deep, but it's, uh-huh. it's good that it's deep because you don't want false negatives. That's like a huge issue with the test. Yeah. We have a bunch of false negatives in the hospital all the time. So you want to make sure that that's like really deep and you're getting up in there, but it's very uncomfortable. I have a video of it in my YouTube channel. Uh-huh. And you can see how uncomfortable I am in my face. It's just so, yeah, I don't recommend it. <laughs> okay. Did you receive just uh, one or did you receive the other one as well? So I think I think I received both. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. she used the same swab to go in both nares. Yeah. I think she probably used both of the swabs. Okay. Oh, I can, I, 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 I the only thing I, I, I'm stuttering. Like, I just can't imagine that feeling because the only thing that I've got to witness, uh, not even, not even, not personally, but I got to witness it within like a foot distance is a, a feeding tube through the nose or the nasal passage. And I can only imagine how uncomfortable that person felt. I feel like what you described is exactly that uncomfortableness that the person felt um so because now you got to experience this now are you able to like oh that now i now i know what they're going through because that that shit sucks yeah absolutely i Uh i know when i'm inserting ng tubes and fellow nurses you know that we're pretty merciless that Uh we're just like we gotta get it done like let's go you know you're usually hard pressed on time so we lube it up you lube it up and then you tell the patient to you know do their thing okay you know cough or swallow do all these things and you're just shoving that tube up there and then the patients like like crying coughing like they're so uncomfortable and we're just like come on like you can do this yeah and now i'm definitely going to be like a little more patient with my patients (laughs) yeah (laughs) after experiencing this like it is so uncomfortable and that tube is a lot bigger than the swab yeah so i can only imagine that it's just so much more uncomfortable oh okay see yeah that that is uh i guess you learn through experience type of thing especially with all this. Uh, and then, so this is, I feel like we started off on, on a middle, kind of like a roller coaster. We started right in the middle. Then we got to our high peak, which was for me, it's traveling. I love to learn about people's stories and then it's getting a little bit more serious and more serious. So it's, I think it's a downhill now. Um, you know, we talked about the, uh, about the industry. We talked about your experience and now I want to talk about something that is, is I see a lot damn, fuck, I keep using social media. I see everything on social media, but that's how a lot of people, unfortunately, get their news. That's unfortunate because nothing's fact-checked. And that's and that also goes for our traditional media as well. Um, you know, whatever we see on Fox, CB, uh, CNN, CBS, all that, some of it may not be fact-checked. But what I see a lot, and especially because it's going to viral, um, and uh, again, I want to get your opinions uh, this whole podcast it's where real people give their unsolicited opinions about real struggles and real success. So this right here, the next question that I'm going to ask, in my opinion, I believe that it's a, it's a real struggle. So what I see right now, especially in America, some comments are made by our political leaders that 
pretty much group an entire community, that community being the Asian community, um, at fault for this pandemic. I, I think at a time like this, I don't think we should be segregating one another. We shouldn't be putting down one another. I think we should all be united. But unfortunately, people take things into their own hands. And I, from what I see, uh, the Asian community is the one who is right now in America struggling the most as they've been uh, the target of, of racial uh, inequality, racial uh, profiling, and even attacks, physical attacks, which is, again, um, maybe because I see, I don't think I see black and white. I'm not the biggest fan of that word, but I see everyone being united, I, especially now. And, and I feel that... Um, that being a minority, I feel like you attacking another minority, attacking another minority, I, I do feel bad, but I think another human being attacking another unsuspected human being uh, is, is something that I don't wish upon um, another. You know, one of the biggest incidences was, was a, a man who makes a living off cans. Uh, and this is a story that I, that I read in San, from San Francisco. He makes a living off cans. He has a house, he has everything, but he makes his living off cans. He goes around the, the community and he picks up the cans. Um, he just happened to, to walk by uh, a couple of younger kids um, that were, how do I say this? A couple younger kids that were unsit who thought it would be funny to attack this man. And in the video, you see them, you know, uh, doing racial, racial comments and, and, you know, saying things about Corona, you know, kick his ass, kick his ass. He got the Corona. Um, and it's not just one video. I've seen multiple videos of this and it's become a trend. How do you feel being, you know, it's uh, you mentioned that you, you didn't mention exactly your ethnicity, but it's also uh, probably it's not the best thing to assume. But I know by your last name Chow, it, it it's pretty obvious that one can assume you pretty are pretty obvious. <laughs> yes, uh, and but also not too long ago, you did post something that um, that talks about this. So I want to get your opinions. How, in your opinion, um, first let's talk about the outside how has this impacted the asian community how do you feel that it's impacted and then the second portion how has it impacted you personally so everything that you said is 100 percent true that this is the sad reality that us as asian americans and asian people in general are facing mm -hmm. i was actually supposed to go to london in march and my sister was telling me that just like a week before i was supposed to go there there was a Singaporean college student that was there just visiting mm -hmm. and he was beat up so bad outside of Oxford Circus tube station, which is like one of the main and busiest subway stations in all of London that gets a lot of traffic and people or one person, I'm not quite sure, just like beat the crap out of him. And now he needs facial reconstructive surgery just because of how bad the trauma was to him. And he's not even Chinese, but people, often assume that one person that's Asian is Chinese. That's something that's not something that's new. That's something that's been happening. Yeah. People don't know that there are different countries in Asia and yeah. don't, don't know the differences, you know, which I understand, but yeah. So from an outside perspective for Asian people in general, it's just been very, very interesting just because there's been so many assaults like people being killed over this like you know i think there was a story about babies being shot mm -hmm. literally just because they're asian and yeah it's 
I don't, I don't even know what to say really just about how terrible it is that people will think these things that just because you're Asian, even if you've never even been to China, which is kind of irrelevant, even if you've been to China, that doesn't mean that you have the virus or that you're spreading the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, people truly believe that just by being Asian, that you are inherently a disease carrier, that you are the one to blame for coronavirus, that this is your fault, your people's fault, and saying things like, you guys did this, like, get away from me, refusing um, care for people. I know that that's been a thing. If you're Asian, they'll refuse you in restaurants to get apartment, um, like an apartment. My friend was shopping for apartments and they were like, you need to leave right now. You, You can't be here. So stuff like that has just been happening. And it's just wild to me that in 2020, people will still believe these really ridiculous things and harbor so much hatred and discrimination and all those things that they feel in their heart. And it's sad because I agree with you that this is a time that we need to be united as humans, not just, you know, as Americans, but just as humans in general, that this is the time that we need to really lean on each other and help each other through this pandemic, because the only way out is through, you know, I'm sure you've heard that term, but we need to get through this together. And it's just really sad that it's come to this, that people believe these things. Mm -hmm. And it really is such a paradoxical experience that, I've been having as like an Asian American healthcare worker, because on one hand, people are like, you're a hero. Thank you for being on the front lines. Thank you for your service. But on the other hand, they're like, but you're causing this virus. So like, fuck you. And like, I have friends that they've been spat at. They've had hot coffee thrown at them, That one is a doctor and had to miss work because he had hot coffee thrown on him and had burns. Like that's, that to me is just absolutely ridiculous. It's like, so now you took a doctor away from the front lines because you think that by this person being Asian, that they are the ones to blame for COVID when they're helping the patients with coronavirus. It's just so like ironic to me that people are doing these things and believing mm-hmm. these things. So yeah, that's no, crazy. Okay. Um, and then the, the, the second portion of that, has it affected you personally in uh, your line of work or have you been a victim of, of this? Well, let's call it what it is of this hate crime. Yes. So I thankfully haven't experienced any physical violence or physical harassment towards me. Mm -hmm. I recently posted on my Nurse Chow YouTube channel and Instagram page about my experience with this. Mm -hmm. And my one of my coworkers, which I still am kind of in shock that it came from a fellow coworker, Mm -hmm. but my coworker was asking me questions about my ethnicity and he knew that I'm Filipino. So he's like, oh, like what else? are you besides Filipino? And I'm half Filipino and I'm half Taiwanese. Mm -hmm. And Taiwan, for those that are maybe unfamiliar, it's a country that's off the coast of China. It has ties to China, it's a Republic of China, but it is separate and all that good stuff. Yeah. So after he learned that I was Taiwanese, he said, oh, you're the reason that coronavirus is in Las Vegas. You are the vector. And of course, I'm just like, um, I was just trying to simply provide education and He's like, oh, you um, have the genetic marker. And what's he saying? He said, I heard that you have the genetic marker and it's already within you. And I'm just like, what? That doesn't even make sense. Like you're a nurse that studied microbiology, epidemiology, and like virus transmission that you should understand that that's not how viruses work. Yeah. And me being Asian, like me being Chinese or me, me being Taiwanese, 
even though I live in America and haven't even been to China in 10 years, you're saying that, okay, Kathy Chow, like she's going to come to Las Vegas and like 27 years ago, they implanted this in me or they're like, okay, it's just going to go off in 2020 and she's just going to spread it. Like that is just so wild. Like that doesn't even make sense. And yeah. he said this in front of others at the nurse's station and truly like believes it. And I was just really surprised that someone that's supposed to be well-educated can believe these crazy things. And especially as nurses, yeah. as healthcare providers, we provide care to every single race, every single gender, every single sexual orientation, everybody. Like we do not discriminate. And as someone that's supposed to take care of these patients and like you took an oath to help and serve others, that you feel this way about someone that is trying to serve others with you. That it was just super hurtful. I was just really taken aback and yeah, just really surprised. And living in Las Vegas, like Vegas is such a diverse city. It's a big city. It's not like a small town where you would think that these things would happen. It's super close to home. Like it's happening more than you think and it's closer than you think. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like I said, this, this, uh, this episode was going to be one of my more, more serious episodes, but it's something that needs to be talked about. Uh, something that I don't hear about. I do hear about the amount of people dying and I hear all the negativity about the virus, but I don't really hear about the negativity, um, of those that are being affected who aren't necessarily being affected by the virus itself, but by simply by being Asian. Um, or being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, I don't think that anybody in this world, regardless of how you look and where you come from, should be assaulted unsuspectedly, especially unsuspectedly. You know, you got younger kids who are assaulting older, like, I mean, much older um, people, uh, senior citizens. And I, I don't think that's something that um, should be a norm or I don't find that humorous. I don't know. My, maybe my style of humor is old school, but I, that is something that younger kids nowadays think it's hilarious. I'm like, I don't, I think if you put yourself, if you put your, yourself in them shoes, what if they did that to your grandma? Is that funny? And that's usually where it, things change. But uh, um, I think I had the same issue with the last episode that I did. I ended on a very negative note and I try to end on a very positive note. So with that being said, I want to ask you, what are you most excited about once all this is over? uh, What are you most excited to do once again? Of course, you know what the answer would be? Mm-hmm. Travel. <laughs> yes. What is, uh, so we don't know the, the date when everything will go back to normal, but what would be the next country that you have your eyes set on? Oh man, I was supposed to go to Costa Rica for my birthday, mm-hmm. but I think Costa Rica, it's a little bit too easy. Like it's pretty close to America. So I okay. want to go somewhere a little bit further. I wanted to spend my summer in Europe. I was supposed to go to Portugal and Ibiza. Okay. If you've ever been to Ibiza, oh my God, it's amazing. It's party city. It's party central, isn't it? Yes. Yes. It is is like the party capital of the world. Uh When I studied in Spain in 2014, I made friends with my cab driver and we've been friends since 2014 and we just like talk back and forth and he watches my YouTube channel to like learn more English and like he tries to teach me some Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, so I was supposed to visit him like this summer, which is crazy that like yeah. my taxi driver is now like my friend and yeah. 
So I would say like Europe, even though mm-hmm. I, I know that's not very exotic, but like I just miss Europe. <laughs> it's the fact that you get to go outside of the country in itself is incredible. I think going outside of the country, even even if it's Canada or Mexico, that itself is a new experience and in a sense maybe exotic because you're not used to that. And that's incredible that that uh, you're not going to let, uh, once all this is over, obviously, um, that you're going to still keep doing that. I think th- some things may change uh, as far as how things are done, but um, I'm really excited to, uh, to keep stalking your Instagram because you have amazing photos and amazing stories. And I think that the whole world, uh, needs to know about it and because you inspire others. And I do notice that people comment and I'm like, uh, I see comments and I'm like, dang, I want to inspire people like that. So, uh, that's an incredible thing to do. Inspire people through your, through your stories and your struggles. And, and that's exactly what, uh, this whole podcast is about, you know, uh, struggles and successes. So that's why this is something that I wanted to bring you on because you literally embody what the podcast is about. Um, so before we end it, I know you wanted, you talked about your YouTube and, and I talk about your, I feel like I talk more about your Instagram while you talk more about your YouTube. So, um, on YouTube, where can we find you? Yes, on YouTube, you can find me at Nurse Chow. Chow is spelled like chaos without the S. So yes. Okay, chaos without the S. Okay, awesome. And then on Instagram, what is your name on Instagram? It's the same, Nurse Chow. Look at that. That's that's yeah. right there. That's uh, social media branding. That's yeah. how you do Continuity it. Continuity of the brand, baby. We out here. <laughs> yes, that is awesome. So awesome. So what I'll do is I'll make sure to put down um, those uh, down below in the description, both on the audio and on YouTube. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited about to be releasing this episode. I think this is probably probably one of the most educational episodes that I think I've ever had. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time. For those that are listening to uh, uh, on Spotify, uh, Apple, and Google, thank you so much. And then on YouTube, make sure you smash that like button, comment down below. Um, on that, guys, I'm out. <laughs>